Welcome to the I Matter Podcast, future-proof your business, career, teams, and organization. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira, and today I'm speaking with Trisha Carter. Trisha is an organizational psychologist, and she works in the area of cultural intelligence, which uh, involves people working in organizations with different cultures and cultural differences. Uh, it involves things like cultural integration, building global skills, and also building capability across cultures. She's also an expert in these areas in things like global mo- mobility, intercultural effectiveness, and she she's done training, coaching, and consulting with businesses, government organizations, um, non-government organizations. And in that time, she's helped hundreds of people move between 50 countries among many of her other skills. So she really knows how people from diverse backgrounds can work together. And of course, now that's a big part of our fast, flat and free world. And that's why I'm so keen to speak to Tricia today so we can explore some of her ideas and some of her insights in this area. So welcome, Tricia. Thanks so much, Gihan. It's great to be here. Yes, great to have you. And we've worked together quite a bit over the years, but uh, I know a lot of people don't know about much about your background. So, so tell me a little bit about your background. Sure. I'm originally from New Zealand, if the accent isn't already showing, um, and moved to Australia after working for some time in human resources. My training originally is as an organizational psychologist, and I, I'm, I'm still um, registered as an organizational psychologist in Australia. And after a few years of working in Australia, um, my husband's company moved us to China. And in China, I realized that a lot of the learning that I'd done through org psych and a lot of my, what I felt were my natural skills as well as my learned skills, the ability to relate well to people and understand people, they seemed to be not working very well. Mm. And I came to realize that all really of the basis of the study that I had done was based much more on a Western viewpoint. And so I became really interested in cross-cultural psychology and reading some books on that really helped me to sort of um, build relationships and, and make some real friendships when we were in China. And when we came back from there, I basically felt that this was so interesting to me and so helpful that it was the area that I wanted to work in from then. So I've been doing it now for about 15 years and um, really enjoying it. I'm based in Sydney, but deliver programs in a number of places. So it's lots of fun. I think I have um, a wonderful area to work in. I think you do too, Tricia, and I love being on your webinars, reading your blog posts, reading your articles, and it's great. And I know one of the things you talk about is this idea of cultural intelligence. So I know we're going to drill into that a lot deeper, but just just as an overview, what is cultural intelligence? It's the ability to be effective in different situations. So in situations where there's diversity, and it might be, as you described before, um, cultural diversity, people from different cultural backgrounds. It might be um, diversity of age, uh, working in, in a team where there's people who are from different age groups. And it might be working from organization to organization. So often the cultures of organizations are vastly different. So often when I'm working with groups, we talk about ethnic cultures or country cultures. People can often really relate to it because they've had similar experiences in terms of moving from different organizations. So people with high cultural intelligence are those who can operate effectively in situations of diversity. 
Okay, great. And that's a little bit broader than what I was thinking you meant, because I thought you were only talking about ethnic cultures or country cultures, but it's great that you're talking about differences in culture. But I think some of the principles are going to be the same, aren't they? Because we're talking about diversity and difference and embracing that. And that's true, whether you're talking about people from different countries or people who are men men working together with women or people from different generations. Mm, For sure, for sure. To me, this seems obvious that we need this more more now than ever before, just because of the way that our organizations and teams are put together. But what's your take on that? Why do you think that this is more important now than ever before? I agree with you wholeheartedly that, you know, the world is, well, to use to use your, your terminology, flat and free. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a world that, you know, travel is something that is so simple, so easy. We have a world where people are moving across borders um, and people, people, people fall in love, you know, so, mm. so the, the, the barriers or the isolation of people into cultural groupings has really ended. And so most people will have within their circle of friends, people from lots of different cultures or within their circle at work or, you know, in some way we are exposed to different cultures. So we, the world itself, when we look at the news, when we look at what's going on, we see different perspectives and it helps to be able to see those perspectives, you know, through a lens of cultural intelligence and not necessarily through just our own viewpoint. Okay, so I'm curious to know your perspective on this, Tricia. Do you think that given that we, that that cultural diversity is inevitable, do you think that it's a good thing that we have that and that we can get some positives from it? Or is it something that we just need to tolerate just because that's the way the world is? Yeah, I actually hate that word tolerate. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I completely get that. So that's why I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, and, and there is solid research to show that when you've got people who think differently and you bring them together and you get them to work together on a problem, the levels of solutions are, are far greater. So the quality of solution as well as the numbers of solutions generated by diverse groups mm. are significantly higher than by those generated by groups that are more homogenous. So we can say that, yes, there are real advantages. If we think about the problems that the world is exposed to at the moment, we really need those sorts of creative solutions. So creativity is something that's increased. You know, that enables people to be more innovative in the way that they approach things. Um, Obviously, if you're dealing with different markets, it helps to have an awareness of those markets. It helps people to reach out to markets if they've got language and cultural ability and dealing with it. And when you're dealing with, like so many organisations, and entrepreneurs as well. When you're dealing with people, you know, in teams that just involve different cultures, the ability to relate well together is going to make that team more effective on their on their output because you've got you've got the um, I guess you've got you're bringing together um, different possibilities, different ways of thinking, different experiences, different language. So put all that quality into a possible solution, and you've got a far better outcome. Yeah, great, great. And I'm really glad that you that you see it that way, Tricia, because it does seem to me, well, again, it seems to me obvious that if you have people with differences and you can help those people work together, you're going to get a better outcome. Yeah, and I think that's the critical factor, help them work together, because sometimes what happens is the differences, instead of being a springboard to innovation, become blocks and people can sometimes find that the differences are hard to work with and in helping people to work together well, you can overcome some of those aspects. 
Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so let's start with some of the basics. So I've got some challenging things for you to address later, Tricia, but let's okay. start with some let's start with a couple of Dorothy Dixes. Okay. So so what are the basic things that if you're a leader or a manager in an organization or maybe a business owner, what do you need to do? to, I guess, identify, um, detect, uh, manage cultural cultural diversity in your teams and organization? Sure. Uh, probably from a big overall perspective, the first thing that I would say is accept that people will do things differently, will think differently, so that you don't always assume that the thing that is supremely obvious to you is supremely obvious to other people. And for people with high cultural intelligence, there's sort of four components that that breaks down into. So one of the first components is the level of motivation that people have. So a leader who's who's leading that team needs to have a desire and a motivation to work with that team and to make it work. So it's, you know, like that whole joke about the psychologist and the light bulb. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb's really got to want to be changed. <laughs> So if people don't have the motivation to work with that group, they're really not going to work well. So that's the first component of, of cultural intelligence. And the second, and that also encompasses an element of resilience because sometimes it's tough, so you need to be able to keep that motivation going even when it's tough. The second component is knowledge. And often when I'm doing training, that's what people think it's all about, that they need to know, you know, um, how do I greet the people? You know, how, how does the name look? Or, you know, what are the knowledge components? And, and those are some of the factors, but there is a far broader perspective as well. And it helps to have some understanding of, of religious differences or of some of the country aspects if you're dealing with another country. So from a broad perspective about things like history and sociology, it helps. And what I spend a lot of time working with people on is helping them to understand the differences in mindsets and beliefs the value differences. And then the third component is around sort of strategic thinking. So it's CQ strategy. And it's really what goes on in your head when you're faced with some of those differences. So your ability to be mindful, sometimes your ability to plan so that the way that you communicate or the way you write the email might be different um, depending on who you're writing it to. And the last component is the action component. And it's really putting it all into practice. It's a similar model to the EQ model. So there are those four components mm. and any leader who's working with that group can probably just stop and think, you know, where's my motivation at? What do I need to know for today's stuff? Is there something I need to do differently? And in the moment, be checking up on themselves and others and then making sure that, that they are constantly doing the things they need to do. One of the interesting things about what you just said, Tricia, is you actually use the word obvious and the, the things that might be obvious to you and you, you assume that they're obvious to other people as well. Yes. And it seems to me that there are two kinds of differences, aren't there? There's, there's some which are obvious. Like, and I'm thinking of a situation where last year I was working with a virtual assistant in the Philippines and I knew that I had to be more careful in my writing because I knew that her written English wasn't as good as mine mm. or, or as good as somebody else from, say, Australia. Um, but there may have been some other things that I would have, that aren't so obvious and I would never have even thought about them. And maybe they, those would have caused problems. I may have been, you know, inadvertently insensitive. So, how do you deal with that? And what are the what are examples of things that might not be so obvious? I think sometimes they come back to some of those values and mindsets. Mm. Um, and I'm just working on a project for the Philippines at the moment, and we were talking about the fact um, that uh, for them, uh, respect and honour is important to people who are older. 
or to people who are in more senior positions. And so depending on the age of the PA that you are working with, you know, she may have seen you as somebody that she should be being very respectful to. And so that level of respect may have meant that she hesitated from saying some things or didn't feel the confidence to be as honest with you as somebody in Australia might have felt. So those are some of the things that are perhaps hidden differences that unless you're aware of some of those different mindsets, you might not pick up on that happening. It might be more what you don't find out about that will reveal it to you. And are there things that you can do to find that out without having to understand, let's say in this case, the Philippine mindset? Uh, for me as a leader, are there things that I could do to, I guess, question some of my assumptions? Yeah, I think um, obviously there's, you know, reading that people can do and learning. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the first things we can become aware of is our own culture and how it has molded and shaped us. And so in acknowledging that Australia is, you know, egalitarian, that we are very informal, that we can recognize that much of the world will not be like that. And so then in understanding that, we can anticipate that perhaps in some situations we may need to be aware of the need for us to act in ways that people are more comfortable with or that they might be expecting something different. Yeah. yeah, great, great. And I guess the more, the better you understand some of those differences and maybe even the better that you understand yourself, the mm. more likely you are to avoid some of the conflict that comes through cultural differences. Yes, yeah. And sometimes use them well. Um, one of the guys that I was working with who's in Papua New Guinea was talking about the fact that he was giving instructions to people and looking at them and thinking, I'm not sure they really understood me here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then noticed that after the meeting, they all went to one of the other guys and were conversing um, with the other guy in Pigeon. And he realized after a while that this other guy was a leader within the in the tribal system. So this other guy was actually doing a um, a reinstruction of everybody, mm. um, almost a reinterpreting of what the expat had been saying, and people were going to him with their uncertainties. So because of his, I guess, his wisdom in observing that, he was then able to use that as an asset and use that guy who was really on the same level as everybody else initially, but he was able to use him as a, you know, a supervisor or a leader so that he was harnessing what existed within the tribal system and what was existing naturally within the group and using it in a way that was more effective. Yeah, and as you've just said that, I've just realized that the same was true when I was working with Gail, this is my virtual assistant in the Philippines, that um, what you said was exactly right. She was much more polite and respectful than I would have, I guess, than I would have expected or, or required. But it also meant that 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 etiquette and that courtesy extended to when she was sending emails to clients. She was probably more you know, friendlier and more polite and more accommodating than I would have been in my emails. Yes. And that, that was a positive thing. That was a really, yeah, that's absolutely. That, yeah, that I took as a positive. Yeah, yeah. So, so those are some of the positive things, Trisha. What about the, what about conflicts that arise? Because I guess they're inevitable that they will arise. Mm. How do you deal with conflicts um, when they're due to cultural differences? Yeah, I think, um, and, and they can arise on all sorts of levels. So it can be around, um, you know, some of the most painful ones that I've encountered were when people have inappropriate body language or inappropriate touching within the workplace and people feel very uncomfortable with that sort of situation. And yet it's relatively easily fixed. It just needs somebody to sit down and have an open discussion and then somebody to constantly remind themselves, oh, in this culture, people don't touch people all the time. You know, so 
So some of the conflicts are relatively easily fixed. Some of the more complex conflicts are probably around, they are around perhaps the ways that disagreements are managed. So some people are quite comfortable having um, obvious and and um, explicit disagreements where, where we'll directly discuss something and you'll tell me that you don't think that's a good idea and here's why. Mm-hmm. And, and I won't get upset by that. I'll, I'll probably listen, you know, depending on how you framed it to me um, or and perhaps how attached I am. But most of the time we expect some disagreement in the workplace and in some cultures people don't expect disagreement. So there can be this sense of I'm, I'm deeply shamed by the fact that you disagreed with me in front of other people. And so that level is, is a hard one to manage. And until you bring things out in the open and have groups discuss the level to which people are comfortable or uncomfortable with that sort of direct communication, then you don't have that understanding. Some of those conflicts can be harder. Yeah. And that can be quite challenging to get people to even talk about some of mm. their assumptions and beliefs and mindsets. So, yeah, even people who recognize it, sometimes their culture doesn't allow them to do that. Yes. I'm always really careful when I'm talking about beliefs and mindsets to frame them in ways where, and often we talk about them in terms of a continuum, but to frame both ends of the continuum in positive ways so that things can be viewed either through a negative or a positive perspective. But there are always advantages in working in different ways. So if you think about, say, the ways we think about time, we might think about time as scarce or we might think about time as plentiful. So the people who think about time as scarce are are more likely to be planning, um, controlling, managing time, more punctual. The people who think about time as plentiful are more likely to be in the moment, enjoying time, building relationships um, without the emphasis on punctuality. So mm. you can sort of see that there are positives from both ends of mm. those those continuums. So I'm always very careful about how I frame things so that people don't feel embarrassed to say, oh, yes, that's my cultural way, so that, that people will, will happily put their hands up and say, yeah, I'm a bit like that, and I can see that you're a bit like that, and that's where some of our conflict comes from. Okay, so if you're a leader or a manager trying to manage or resolve those sort of conflicts, let, let's take that one for example, because I can see the obvious the obvious consequence of that is somebody is always turns up late to meetings and doesn't seem to care. Somebody else turns up on time and is impatient by it and frustrated and annoyed. Mm. Uh, if you're the third person mediating that, so you're the you've got those two people on your team, how how do you manage that? <laughs> I'd probably have a discussion with them individually first mm-hmm. and talk about the fact that we've got these differences that exist and say what you appreciate about the good sides of that person. Mm-hmm. So the strengths that comes from that and then ask them to consider it from the other person's perspective and then say, look, can we find a happy medium? So the person who expects the meeting to start right on time, it can be really helpful if they are a little bit more aware of the fact that not everybody has the clock that's running in their heads or hearts. Mm. Um, and so they may not be as aware of it. So for them, it might be harder work for them to walk in, you know, five minutes early or whatever. And so to encourage them to have things to do while they're waiting mm. so that, you know, you, you're not wasting, you don't feel you're wasting time. And for the other people to suggest, you know, do you need to set reminders for yourself? You know, so there might be practical things that people can do if you've got a, um, a time factor element. Probably the other aspect is is just that willingness probably to value people in the group because sometimes people lose 
lose sight of the purpose of the team. And so one aspect may be really grating on somebody because they know they don't actually value that person in the team. So it is a difficult one, um, but it's it's symptomatic of other things as well. So I guess the first thing is, you know, let's look at, at how we can be a team together and let's say that we do want to be a team together and let's look at all our strengths as well as look at the conflicts and the issues that we might have. It's not easy. It's not, I don't think that it's, I don't think there are ever simple answers. Okay, well, I'm really glad you said that, Tricia, because I was just about to ask you some, some more challenging questions around that, because it seems like that one, I completely get that. You can give people, both parties, some practical advice that they can do to kind of move closer towards uh, something that's going to make both of them happy. Yeah. Uh, but that seems like a very situational scenario, and I'm thinking of something that's a little bit broader. So for example, I'm sure that as an expert on global mobility, you would have had many occasions where you'd have helped somebody make a transition to another country. So some leader or a senior manager who has done such a great job in one environment, one geographical environment, who's then parachuted into leading a team somewhere else. Yeah. What are the sort of cultural things that they need to look at and maybe traps and pitfalls to avoid? Yeah, yeah. So I would go through the, their cultural intelligence with them. So I'd look at what's motivating them for this assignment. I'd look at where their resilience is going to come from. I'd look at the knowledge that they need and I'd step them through that knowledge. We'd talk about some of the um, value differences that exist between, you know, their own culture and the culture that they're moving to. And, you know, at times I use the CQ assessment, which also contains um, a values questionnaire and helps people to clarify those so that you can sort of see them in front of you. And, and and help people to see how the leadership style might be different in this culture and so how they can adapt their leadership style um, and also help them to think of the people that they're going to lead, you know, as, um, as people who are individuals and people who are bringing skills and abilities to the team as well. So the real aspect that, that becomes difficult and is not necessarily where I'm with them because often I'm training them prior to them leaving or in the early days when they arrive, is then how they do that strategic side. So then as they watch themselves when perhaps they might be making judgments. Mm. So, you know, they might be feeling like, oh, you know, all Australians are so informal or all Australians are so task-oriented that they miss out on making people connections. You know, so there'll be some critical things that might be leaping into mm -hmm. people's heads and they'll need to manage those judgments. They'll need to think about the positives. They'll need to, because as soon as people start having things like that, as constant sound bites going through their heads, other people will pick it up. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure you've worked with people or encountered people who've, who are just not comfortable or not happy um, being where they are. And so they're constantly trying to change things in a way that is, is not going to work. You're not going to change. Yes, you can change the culture of an organization, but you've got to do it gradually and you've got to do it from a position of strength, not from a position of um, almost school teacherish. you've all got to change because it's not working. So yeah, yeah, it's a difficult one. The other thing that the, you know, that person needs to be aware of is just the massive amount of changes that they're experiencing and how much stress that's going to be putting on them. So the level of adjustments that they'll be making, therefore they'll have to be kind to themselves. They'll have to manage their, um, health and fitness, their own mindsets, their their brain health. You know, they'll have to take care of themselves so that they can learn what needs to be learned, adapt to what needs to be adapted to. 
Yeah, so do you mean changes like, you know, husband and wife also moves, the kids are going to a new school, they're living in a new country and have, they've learned different customs. Are those the sort of changes you mean? Absolutely. Those are the, those are the massive things, yeah. Mm. But it does come down to just tiny little things as well. So just think about the fact that say you'd moved from, um, I don't know, say you move from Australia and you move to America where you think the culture is very similar mm. and then suddenly you're, you're, you're leaving the office and your partner calls up and says, oh, hun, could you pick up some milk? We're out of milk. And so you, as you get into the car, you've got to think, right, now I'm not taking the route home that I've just managed to learn, but I'm going to a shop. And where is the nearest shop? And and so you're driving very, very aware of every moment of your driving, especially because you're on the other side of the road. <laughs> and then when you get there, you think, right, where do I park? And then where is the shop within perhaps this shopping complex? And and what where does the milk live in this shop? And what does the milk look like? And what does my sort of milk look like? Do they have my sort of milk? And then you take the milk to the checkout and you think, well, how much is this going to cost? And and what is this money that I'm holding here? Which, which, which coins, which notes do I need? And what do I say to the checkout person? And then how do I get from here back to my car? And then back in my car, how do I get home? And if you think about each of those steps right now, you could probably do that without needing to be even consciously aware of it. So you could be doing that while you're actually thinking about some problem you've got somewhere else. And so what's really happening at that point is that it's much more the limbic system, the automatic part of your brain that's taking you down that route home so that you're not really even consciously thinking about it. So your prefrontal cortex is sort of free to wander off and solve some problem or to have a bit of a rest. But the reality is when you've moved like that, your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that really thinks, has to be on so much of the time mm. and and that is really tiring so the learning that you're doing is really exhausting and so it's it's hard then to layer over that the level of complexity that you need to be culturally intelligent as well but we expect that of people who are moving all the time and it, it's it's a big ask so it helps sometimes to give people a little bit of a reminder to be gentle to themselves mm. because you know they've got a big task ahead of them yeah, great and great. And and so that example you're talking about, someone who just has to be more aware and has to adapt to that. I, I shouldn't use the word just, but somebody who has to be more aware and adapt to that. Yeah. Um, the second scenario, I'm thinking of something that actually happened to a friend of mine who worked for an IT company and she was very good and she was promoted to a more senior position. And she was, as a result of that, sent to work in their in their offices in another country. And as I've said, she's a woman. And it was a it was a culture that doesn't really respect women as leaders, and yet mm. she was expected to take on this leadership position, basically run the operations, give presentations both internally and to clients, and it was really in quite a challenging culture. How do you how do you manage something like that when somebody is totally qualified and she was absolutely the best person to go? Yeah, but it almost seemed like you'd be better off sending a man, and that would have been so unfair. Yes, yes. And, you know, there are probably some times where I, I do think, you know, that it, it would be wrong to make a judgment. And yet, it's such a challenge to ask somebody. So you're really asking them to step up and step out and, in quite a different way. Um, so in some cultures, even though people might think that it's a male-oriented culture, and I'm thinking of Japan here, often Japanese women that I've spoken to have said Western women come in and they're almost honorary men. Mm -hmm. So in some cultures, it's not too much, as much of a problem because a Western person if you if it is a Western person, is bringing with them sort of um, a level of respect that wouldn't 
wouldn't be held by the women in that country. Um, in other situations, I often talk about there's a sense where you need to create your status. So in countries where there is a recognition and a respect for status and where status is very important and many countries there's sort of a sense of layers and levels and people know where they fit. Um, we don't really have that in Australia, so it often sounds very foreign to us and sometimes to many people sounds very wrong, but it does exist in a lot of other countries. So often I'll talk to people about how they might need to to demonstrate their status. So they might need to talk about their credentials or their experience or their linkage to other important people. And those sorts of things are almost anathema to Australians. We just think, oh, my goodness, you know, it just makes me feel so uncomfortable. So that element of perhaps being willing to give people a sense of you can trust me because. And so sometimes that's needed. So... Um, whether it's because of previous experience or qualifications or because the president of the organization or the, the CEO has, has confidence in you. Sometimes it helps to have that person to introduce you um, so that their mantle, if you like, is covering you um, and so that you have this sense of you are an important person, you, you have been chosen for this role because this other important person thinks you're important. So, yeah, there is, there is elements around status that means that you sometimes need to step up and step into it to be able to work effectively. And so certainly I'd be, if it was somebody that I was coaching, I'd be talking to them about how they could demonstrate that level of worthiness for the job. And I know at times our brains would be going, oh, why do I have to prove that I'm mm. worthy? I am worthy. And yet the reality is other people may not be viewing it that way. And, and it's to your benefit to go to, yeah. the, go to the extra effort of proving that. That's right. And so that comes back to your motivation. You're reminding yourself why you're doing this. Mm. What is it you want to get out of this? You know, and whether it's the ultimate outcome for the organization or the ultimate outcome for your career, then you can sort of, you know, ad admit to yourself that I'm willing to do the hard yards here. And in some senses, we're asking people to operate in a different way. And at times people will say to me, this feels really inauthentic or it doesn't feel like me. Um, and yet, and so that people are hesitant to step out of their comfort zone in terms of ways of operating. And yet I remind people that often we do operate in really different ways. So if you think about the way that we might talk to our grandparents or, um, you know, compared to the way we might talk to people at work or talk to our children. And so there, we do have ways of operating where we switch perhaps our language style slightly or we switch our level of formality. Or, and, and really all we're asking people to do is to extend out that flexibility of operating and that ability to be flexible and have, I guess, more ways of operating up your sleeve is really what cultural intelligence is about. You just reminded me of the time when I lived in the UK, um, Tricia, many years ago. It's actually, now that I think about it, <laughs> almost a quarter of a century ago. <laughs> and, and one of my friends You must have was, been very young. <laughs> well, thank you. That's so, it's so nice of you to say that. <laughs> one of my friends was an American friend, uh, Barry from Ohio. And he was, he, or, yeah, like I, he had visitors coming and staying with him. And uh, he said he always found it really interesting that some of his friends from home uh, friends and family would come over and they'd say, oh, how different England is from from home. And he'd say, yes, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that why mm -hmm. you came? 
And uh, he was really like he was very open minded and very flexible that way. And yeah. I, I think you're saying the same thing, aren't you? If you come along and you expect everything to be the same, well, why do you bother coming? You knew that yeah. it was going to be different. And that's part of the reason, part of, as you say, part of your motivation for being there. Yes, yeah. And I'm always encouraged when people say, um, you know, when I say, why why do you want to do this? And people will sometimes say, oh, it's a bit of an adventure. And they almost look like they're feeling a bit guilty for saying that. But mm-hmm. it actually makes me feel very positive because then I think, okay, so they've got that desire to experience the difference. And, you know, when you think about it, if you just think we're very happy to experience the difference from a food perspective and from a travel perspective. Um, and so, you know, why shouldn't we try and play with different ways of thinking in the same way? and see how enhancing um, the, I guess, our flexibility around thinking differently might might be a good thing too. Just like, I guess, when when was coffee introduced, real coffee, I mean, mm-hmm. introduced to Australia? It was sort of the 1960s, wasn't it? You know, before that, people drank tea all the time. And so somebody sat down and said, oh, I'm going to give this coffee a try and, and liked it thanks to the Greeks and Italians who were, you know, making it. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, so until you try working with a different way of working, then you sort of, yeah, you you may find that it's really adding flexibility to your ways of operating. I was in um, in a presentation recently and I wasn't finding it very helpful. And at the end, the person next to me turned to me and said, oh, wasn't, wasn't he a wonderful speaker? Mm. And I thought, you know, it sort of flashed through my mind. My immediate response was, no, I didn't think he was very good at all. And the content was pretty useless. And then I thought, does that help? No, it doesn't help. And so I said, I really liked his last point, which was true. Mm. I really liked his last point. And so it's that ability to to choose the way that you operate, um, because that's a very indirect way of communicating. So the advantages that we can gain is often something that people pick it, miss out on. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Trisha, we could talk for ages about this, and, uh, and I know that we have in the past. <laughs> I know there are people who want to get in touch with you and who want to work with you, so sh- would, you, would you please share what sort of work you do who, okay. do, you, who do you most like to work with, and then, of course, how do people get in touch with you? Sure. So um, we've spoken here about um, people moving to different countries. So I do work often with people who are moving at the point that they're moving. So that initial training experience about um, understanding another culture. Um, Also, I deliver coaching, which is sort of an extended an extended process through that, um, deliver CQ assessments to help people assess their cultural intelligence and to see how they can improve. So a lot of that is around that sort of expat person. Um, I've also worked with um, uh, senior management teams of expats and locals to help them to understand how they're operating as a team and how the different values that they're bringing to the table um, might be enhancing or might be influencing or impacting on the ways they're operating. Um, And that's a fun one. Uh, One of the things that I'm working on at the moment is around knowledge transfer. And so helping people who are going to another location to deliver, um, you know, upgrades and changes to process. So helping them to understand the culture so that they can deliver their training effectively. So lots of different sort of face-to-face type training and coaching situations there. Um, Also, I have, as you know, Gihan, and as you've helped a great deal with, um, the Cultural Intelligence Collective, which is a website that has online resources for people who either whose budget or whose timing doesn't allow them to 
to do face-to-face work with me. So that is um, cicollective.com, and that um, provides people with ongoing support for a year of their assignment, offering e-books and webinars and access to a lot of information and also access to me via email. Um, and I also deliver presentations to conferences or to groups. So um, a range of things there, and I think I've covered most of them. And who do I like to work with? I'm pretty much anybody. I'm, I'm not really fussy. <laughs> <laughs> so I have clients who are in the finance area. I have clients in FMCG. I have clients in professional services. Um, I have some government clients as well, and I've worked with some NGOs too. So, yeah, um, basically just people who are moving to interesting places or dealing with different places. Um, recently I've been doing quite a bit of work in Papua New Guinea, which has been really interesting. I'm heading off to America soon to speak to a conference over there. So lots of interesting stuff. If you want to email me, you can email me at trisha at cicollective.com. That's T-R-I-S-H-A at C-I-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E dot com. Yeah, fantastic. And th- thank you so much, Tricia, for sharing your wisdom and your insights. And uh, uh, as I said, we could have talked for ages, but uh, if I give you the last chance, have you got any last thoughts or parting words? I guess the the thing that that I'd most like people to, to remember is to be curious, to be mm. curious about differences, be open um, and, and enjoy them, uh, enjoy and appreciate them. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, but also for your wisdom and your insights. Thanks, Kihan. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, check out my speaking topics at com. You can also find out about my mentoring programs if you're interested in one-on-one work for yourself or your teams. And I also run a membership site for leaders to help with creating an online footprint, for marketing your business, for getting things done in a chaotic world, and for delivering more magnetic messages. You can find out more at egurus.info. That's E-G-U-R-U-S dot info. And if you do want to engage with me in other ways, again, go to gihanperera.com, where you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, videos, and webinar series. They're all free, and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of the individuals in your organization, your team, and, of course, your own potential as well. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to the iMatter Podcast. To subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit iMatterPodcast.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike. Thank you.